Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. I am so excited to have Sarah Duval on here. You guys who have followed me and, and listened to my ramblings for a while, you know that every year I like to do at least two to three new certifications. Hers is one that, man, Sarah, I think I will continue to revisit this certification throughout the years. The first section is just on like breath work, right? And yeah. I was kind of surprised that, okay, we're learning about pregnancy, uh, post-pregnancy, uh, all the changes that go on with the body, how we can help women deal with those. And here we are starting with breath work. And I was kind of like, huh, okay, this is, it was super fascinating, but this, I'm so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to talk about um, a few things. And I think we can just dive on into it. I was, I actually heard about you from a friend, Lindsay, her name's Lindsay too. Mm -hmm. And um, she told me you had a story about experiencing prolapse. Yes. So I kind of want to just start there. Tell us your experience. Well, who you are, that would be great. You, I'll let you talk about you and then your experience with that. I'd love to hear it. Sure. So I am a personal trainer and a physical therapist. I started out as a personal trainer in school, in college actually, and worked at the local Y over the summer. And I love exercise and I love helping people. So it's a great combo. And then I went on to PT school and worked as a personal trainer to help pay for PT school. It was a great a great outlet to directly apply what I was learning and also to make really good money while I was in school. Uh, so it was a, it was a great fit. Um, we just always loved exercise. And then I had babies and, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. <laughs> and the public floor <laughs> can be quite like that aspect because I thought I knew a good bit about the public floor until I ended up with prolapse myself. And I was like, I know something and, you know, sometimes we know a little more than others. Sometimes we don't, but when you experience something, then on top of learning, you're like, Oh, I really know that now. And so I would say that the prolapse in and of itself was very difficult emotionally wise, but very great for me learning wise to just learn the ins and outs of what something felt like. And I still am of the belief that not everybody has the same thing the same way. So there are mm -hmm. lots, of, there are many, many treatment paths and what worked for me will not work for other people. Um, but what worked for me will work for some. And so I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. It makes me kind of upset when I see those programs that pop up online where people are like, fix your X, Y, Z, because I did. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. Sure, that might work for 30% of people, but what about the other 70 that you're selling this program to? And so I think from that just rehab background, I was able to take a step back and look at all the many facets, but then add the experience to it, if that kind of makes sense. I just, the emotional component, especially experiencing that, going through it, feeling like your body has betrayed you because you brought life into the world and now you have to deal with this. Like what kind of thank you is that? I mean, the whole process is just such a process. And then you get this. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's, it's so insulting. You know, you sprain your ankle, you have an injury or you tear your ACL, you have an injury, but you give birth, you do it. You know, it's for another person. It's for another human being. And you're like, this is what I end up with. And so I think there's just the emotional component to prolapse runs a lot deeper than it does many other uh, areas of injury in the body. But I love that you, one, bring up a lot of times on social media, people tell stories and they're powerful. And it's great to find out what works for other people. But I do think it is so important to understand in so many aspects, just because we all have eyesight problems doesn't mean the doctor is going to give us all the same prescription. He shouldn't right? And it doesn't mean that me as a trainer should say, well, this is the prescription that works for me. I can see so clearly though. Now everybody wear that. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I have noticed. And it's been quite apparent in your uh, certification program that everybody is an individual. 
everybody is an individual. Yes. Yeah, so I'm like, here's 18 things to try. And you're like, I hate you. Yes. I can't even do the checklist. Yes. I'm like, well, the checklists don't work. Okay. Well, they work for 30% of people, but then they don't. What about the rest of the 70%? So, Well, and it, it leaves the rest of the 70% feeling that they will forever be broken because yes. this one program that was supposed to solve it didn't mm-hmm. work. Exactly. And so it can be really, really frustrating for them. Mm-hmm. I have a, a sister-in-law who experiences it so badly that she has for years and years just not even been able to pick up her children. Oh, it's that's been so heartbreaking. Really, it, it is. And it's been really, really sad. And she's one of those who have tried these programs. And so going through your programming, I'm just like this, I, I want so badly now to try, you're right, all the 20 things. Because if one of them works. I mean, yeah, to me, when somebody says they can't pick up their kids because of their prolapse, I'm like, well, you just have a bad plan. Because I feel very strongly that even if, I I do think that in a, I don't even want to put, I don't want to say some, and I don't want to say a lot. In a number of cases, prolapse can be healed, but not in all cases. But still, even those that I feel like we can't heal because of various reasons, and I'm happy to go into all my thoughts on that, but even those that we can't heal for various reasons, I still feel like we can improve strength while maintaining the level of prolapse that they have. So when somebody Mm. tells me they can't pick up their kids, it's telling me they have a poor strengthening program and they don't understand pressure management and they don't understand what's making their prolapse worse and they're not getting the right treatment for their prolapse. Because even if we can't improve it, we can improve our strength and what we can do while we maintain our prolapse. Okay. I love this. So at least I feel very strongly about that. I can tell. I can tell. This is a good thing. It's an effort thing and and an education thing. So it's, it's finding the right people to help you as well as putting in the time and effort. You have to have that right combo because even if you dedicate your entire life to it, but you're not talking to the right people and getting the right advice, then you're going to be spinning your wheels. Let's talk about pressure management with that. How how does that influence it? Let's start there. I think that that is the most powerful place to start with all of this, really. Absolutely. So pressure is our ability to maintain some core strength, to keep our spine safe when we lift, we move. And so we need pressure. Pressure is good. Pressure allows you to not collapse on your joints when you go to pick up a kid. All right. So when we generate pressure, it gives us a stiffness and stability through our trunk. Stiffness and stability can be a beautiful thing. Now, the problem is, is pressure can be directed. So it can be spread all over your trunk relatively evenly, or you can direct it up, maybe give yourself a hiatal hernia. You can direct it out, maybe give yourself like an inguinal hernia or a diastasis or an umbilical hernia, or you can direct it down to your pelvic floor. And maybe you can even direct it out your back. And then we can maybe talk about disc bulges and pressure in that direction. So when we think about pressure, we think about pressure management, we have to understand what pressure is, how to manage pressure, what pressure feels like in our body, which I feel like most, uh, the one of the biggest deficits for improvement is being in touch with your body. So that can be a big barrier because if you don't know how to kind of feel a little bit about what's going on because we've never spent time doing that in our American society. I feel like societies that focus a lot on meditation and connecting do a much better job with that feeling of Mm -hmm. what's happening in their body. And there, I think that in turn helps direct a lot of how they should improve movement. So when we look at pressure, we think we need to one, decrease pressure on the pelvic floor because it does two things. One, it pushes out our organs. When you bear down, send pressure down, but two, it causes tightness because your pelvic floor is going to respond by trying to hold up or contain that pressure. Tightness in and of itself can increase prolapse symptoms. Hmm. And so think I like to think about it as an accordion. When you pull the accordion out, the walls are nice and smooth. When you push an accordion in, the walls bulge. So if you think about pelvic floor tightness as pushing the accordion in, you're going to have more bulgy walls. So therefore, oh my gosh, I've got this prolapse. It's right there. It's coming out of my vagina. I can see it. I can feel this bulge. So then that makes me want to contract more, which then causes more tightness, which then causes more prolapse symptoms, which then makes me feel like I can't pick anything up or exercise. Whereas I've had a lot of prolapse patients 
patients with prolapse that have been able to go for a run or go to the gym and lift weights and their prolapse actually feels better when they're done. So I think that like for me personally, I had a lot of trouble sitting at the computer. I would sit at the computer. I would upper ab grip, which would then put pressure down on my pelvic floor. I'd stand up and I'd feel my prolapse. I could feel the bulge. It was the worst. And I'm like, so wait a minute, I can go to the gym and I can deadlift more than my body weight and my prolapse feels great, but I can't sit at a computer. So I think when we start looking at prolapse and what makes us worse, that's going to be individualized, but it's also going to be looking at movement patterns. And so once I nix my upper ab gripping problem that I didn't know I had and my jaw clenching problem that I didn't know I had because I hadn't brought awareness to those areas yet, then everything completely resolved for that one particular issue. You said this works for you. Those were your solutions. Those were part of my solution. Yeah. Mine, it took me five years to hold my prolapse. So it, it took a very long time, but it was a multifaceted. I had stretched fascia. I had some muscle tearing, um, not a lot, but a little bit. Um, I had fascia that needed to remodel, which took years. And so that I would think that would be for me, that was the biggest component was giving the fascia enough time to remodel and the muscle enough time to strengthen, to help compensate for the fascia and having all of that come together. I didn't deal with much um, pelvic floor tightness. That was not my thing. Mine was more ligament laxity, uh, stretching fascia. Everybody in my family basically has a hernia. So I genetically did not draw, or I guess I should say I drew the short stick genetically for fashion. (laughs) So that was what I came out of. um, I came out of birth with was extremely lax stretched fascia from having a baby that didn't tuck his chin and had his hand up by his head. So it was almost one of those situations where like, what are we going to do? How is this baby going to come out? And was, was there an emergency situation? And the midwife is like, no, no she can get it out. Let's just give it time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, but my pelvic floor paid the price for that. But yeah, it took years. But after years, I was able to get back. So I, I went into my OB a, a little while ago and I was like, you know, I am, I'm feeling like for me, from my perspective, that my prolapse is pretty much gone. Like I can bear down and I get a little bit of pelvic floor give, but I don't have any bulges wanting to come out. And from me, from my physical therapy perspective, like that it's pretty darn good to me. And so I was like, can you confirm that? And so she was like, yeah, she's like, she, she had finished my exam, taken off her gloves. And she's like, all right, let me put the gloves back on and redo this. And she was like, oh, wow. She's like, yeah. She's like, this is great. I don't see any prolapse at all. I wouldn't even give you like a grade half. And I had a grade two plus postpartum. And so for me, it took a lot of time doing the right thing overloading the tissue to let it know it needed to remodel. Because if we don't ever overload tissue, we never get remodeling, right? It's a it's a task-dependent system. If we overload, we respond to that overload. And so overloading mm-hmm. to the right degree, the right amount for my body to then remodel the tissue, and it took years for that to happen. Well, but what does that look like, overloading that? When you say that, there's going to be a lot of people saying, okay, I know how to overload my bicep. So when we think about it, we think about that pressure management and how much pressure you're putting down to your pelvic floor, which then in turn makes your levator and I respond, makes your pelvic floor muscles respond. So it's an, it's an integration of pressure, increasing pressure to what is perfect ish range, not, not like a perfect thing. We've got to hit like a bullseye, but like a range for your body over time because your body is going to respond to that pressure. And so a lot of times in the early stages of healing, women will put too much pressure down on their pelvic floor and they'll continuously make their prolapse worse, progressively worse over time. But if we can contain the pressure, we can teach them how to manage that pressure in the beginning, then we can allow some of that initial healing to happen and recovery. And then if we systematically increase pressure over time, then we can allow for some of that healing to happen. Now, healing in and of itself comes down to genetics too, right? So I drew the short mm-hmm. straw for fascia, but I don't have a ton of wrinkles. I, I have fairly good collagen, I think. And so I had potential for healing. I don't excessively scar. Um, so I, I've got, I think when you I drew the short straw for fascia integrity, I at least drew a better straw for healing, I think. And so I feel like some of it is in our control 
And some of it is not in our control and doing what we can, but at the end of the day, knowing we can only do what we can do. And so that's why when somebody asks me if they can heal their prolapse, I say, maybe. But what we can do is we can get you as strong as humanly possible without making your prolapse worse as long as we have the right plan for your body. And it might be starting lower than they want to start. It might be more basics than they want a basic. And it might be a whole lot more mental reflection than they want to spend the time doing. But if they put in that work and they can learn to feel and learn how their own body is responding, then we can progressively overload them and they can just continue to get stronger over time until we get them back to running. I mean, you need a lot of strength to run, right? And so most women do not have hips strong enough to run and your hip Mm -hmm. rotators are part of your pelvic floor. And so when we think about the strength of the hip rotation muscles and the support for the pelvic floor, we want to be really strong to do something like go for a run. Or we're just going to get a lot of give and sag, especially if somebody's got loose ligament laxity for that, for their fascia, for their like uterine supportive ligaments and stuff like that. They're going to feel a lot of give happening in their pelvic floor until we have enough natural strength and tone to help give that area support. And that might take longer than they want it to take. I mean, like I said, it took me five years to where I could feel like, okay, I can bear down and I don't have a bulge anymore. I would imagine you do continue doing maintenance to keep that, like maintenance exercises, or is it to the point where it's like, nope, this is good. I love exercise, so I'm not going to quit exercising. (laughs) Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I probably do. But when we think about a good program, right? So what do you mean by quit? So if if I'm writing someone a great program, I am looking at incorporating all planes of motion. So if someone has poor exercise programming and they go in the gym and they do only sagittal plane exercises for six months, then sure, maybe some of their symptoms will come back. You know, maybe they'll lose Mm -hmm. some hip rotation strength. Maybe they'll, you know, so I think, I think, but as long as it's good, well-rounded programming, then you don't need to think of it as I've got to do these low level maintenance exercises. Does that, that that seem helpful? Yeah, that does. Okay. I think we can switch gears. Like we don't have to always be in rehab, but rehab can also be very high level. And I think when people think of rehab, they think of like clams on the floor. And I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. let's do this high level rotational exercise with a band where I'm, or I'm making you, I'm letting you hold like a 50 pound kettlebell and that is your rehab. So I think we can, there's, there's a whole spectrum of, of intensity for exercise. Okay. I, I love that you say that because a lot of times people think, oh, I have, I have this, I have, um, diastasis. I cannot work out anymore. Yeah. I can't do that because you need to work out to get remodeling. And it can be one in the same. Mm-hmm. It can be one. Our training can be our rehab and then it can be our maintenance. Yes. Our maintaining. Are there any specific exercises where you say, don't, if you have prolapse, <laughs> don't do this. Yes, I do. If you have prolapse, don't do anything where you can't control the pressure. Okay, okay that's a... <laughs> that's, but I would tell the same thing to anybody, even if they didn't have... Like, if you look, yes. don't try to deadlift 400 pounds, if you can't deadlift 100 pounds, like, that's that's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. You, your back would probably be killing you the next day. So I, I think we can just kind of make that as a general rule. Like, if you can't control an exercise and do it well, don't do it. So I think that's, I mean, across the board, right? Let, let common sense reign there. Yes. And I see people who are told don't do something. So then they don't do it. And then they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And they're like, but I felt fine doing it. I actually had somebody comment on my Instagram page the other day when I posted an ab exercise, a side plank, and they were told to stop all planks. And I was like, but why did somebody check, did an internal pelvic floor PT check you in that position and say, well, you're really bearing down a lot. I can feel your prolapse protruding. You're not managing pressure well in this exercise. So let's back off and here's your modification for now. And she was like, no, I was just told not to do this exercise. She's mm-hmm. like, but I, I felt great doing that exercise. But meanwhile, I had trouble with these other exercises. <laughs> and so I think we need to give people more education instead of knows on things where they can feel what's happening and decide whether or not an exercise is safe. And that reminds me of another post that you had made about exercises when you're pregnant. Cause I'll have clients say, okay, now I'm pregnant. I'm writing their training programs all through pregnancy. 
And they'll always ask me, always ask me, so what exercises should I stop? What exercises should I stop doing now? I do have a list of, for that, of what people should stop. I, um, I I do want to say that it is, as long as you have clearance from your doctor and well, that's a, at least a doctor, (laughs) you might need to find a new doctor. I had a patient once who was told she couldn't start exercising while pregnant, but she was, she had a desk job. She wasn't doing anything. Literally, she wasn't walking for 10 minutes a day, like nothing. Like her level of fitness was zero. And her doctor's like, you can't start anything. And she's like, I can't even go for a walk. And she's like, no. And I was like, really? Can we find you a new doctor? Because mm-hmm. I mean, this is, just seems really unhealthy to me that you can't start walking for five minutes a day. Yes. Like this is, seems a bit extreme. And so I think, I think too, that sometimes we get stuck in those rules of what's safe and what's not safe. And the whole, like, you can keep doing what you're doing is not accurate, especially if the person is not doing anything. (laughs) Exercise is very healthy during pregnancy and you can safely get somebody back into an exercise program if they can. I mean, there's, there's, you know, they're obviously unsafe things for exercise, but during pregnancy, which is why you want that clearance. But I think just for the sake of that blatant rule, blanket rule, it's not a, it's not a good one. But for pregnancy, I don't want um, anyone bearing down on their pelvic floor because our pelvic floor during pregnancy goes through changes to prepare for birth. And so this is a time where the pelvic floor is very vulnerable and you can end up with prolapse during pregnancy from poor pressure management and pressure management becomes difficult because you've got a baby in there and everything's changing with your core strength and your strategies for doing things are changing. So being aware of what's happening at your pelvic floor can be really beneficial there. Going ahead and learning pressure management, feeling what bearing down feels like, bringing awareness to that during pregnancy can be very good. Uh, The other thing I, I don't want somebody doing is continuing to front load. So planks, push-ups, things like that, continuing to front load when they are actively getting doming out of their diastasis recti. Because I've seen a lot of women um, make their diastasis a lot worse. Um, I tend to see, at least it was it felt like a trend for a little while where I would get women from CrossFit. And I, I love high-level exercise. So um, I don't, I'm not saying anything bad about CrossFit. I, I like exercising intensely, but they continue to do lots of front loading exercise. So I saw this like pattern for a while where I was getting all these women with severe diastasis postpartum. I'm like, all right, let's in your next pregnancy, let's try to go ahead and stop front loading as soon as you start to notice distension, as soon as you start to notice unregulated pressure coming out through this fascial system. And so when they did that, we had subsequent pregnancies where their diastasis was much better after the pregnancy. Mm. And so then that told me, I don't have research on that. I just have individual case studies. But that told me, hey, maybe we need to look at how we're loading. I mean, because we don't want to bear down the pelvic floor, right? And stretch out that fascia, sending too much pressure down. We don't want to send pressure, too much pressure to the middle, stretching out that fascia. So just if they're wanting to do some crunches, during their class for their modification or dead bugs. And they notice, oh, they're getting all this doming out of their belly. Had one woman who, um, she's like, I thought an alien was escaping from my abdomen. Oh my with gosh. Her, with her way of oh. describing her like giant doming out of her diastasis that was happening because she was increasing pressure so much. Yeah. And so we can just bring a little awareness to kind of what that looks like, how to check for it. And then when you start to notice doming, you just change your exercises to something that doesn't cause doming. I still want to load the abdominal wall. I still want to strengthen. I just don't want to cause doming because then we're, we're, we're overly stressing the fascia. We're not working the muscles like we want, right? So why would we want to keep doing that? Yeah. No, that's really good. I, I like that you bring up on an individual level um, pressure control. Like when we can't do that. I mean, the day before my uh, little boy Link was born, I hit a new PR on my deadlift and I felt great. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm an experienced lifter. When I got pregnant, I was told by my doctor, stop all lifting, just run. And I was like, what? well, one, I, I don't run. Like <laughs> I, I, I always, I never really run. I love walks. I'm not a runner. So you're going to, you're, so now you're taking away my one 
big joy out of my life and replacing it with something I don't even enjoy doing. But I, I was really surprised by that. And I was like, but if my body's used to it, I'm a trainer, I'm a coach. This is what I do. Why would I stop? Like, can you provide some information and well, you, you shouldn't be lifting over 20 pounds. Okay. Well, the day before Link was born, I was deadlifting 230. So, yeah. and, and I was perfectly fine, but I always tell that story with a, but that may not be right for you. That, that may be really a really bad story for you to hear, because if you don't, if you're not aware of your body, if you're not aware of form and how to control your pressure properly, that might be bad advice. You might be bearing down. You might be putting too much pressure out the front. Yes, you might be, yes, making mistakes that you would look back on later and be like, I wish somebody had told me. So the advice yeah. to keep doing what you're doing, I feel like is very poor because a lot of stuff we might should stop doing, especially toward the end or modify or change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my doctor told me not to lift over 40 pounds. And I was like, well, with with what? Like what type of lift? And she just kind of looked at me like, well, obviously I can't do a 40 pound shoulder raise. So that's out. I was like, but I can do a single arm row with like 80 pounds. I'm a rock climber. Like I, this is not, this is an arbitrary thing for me to not lift 40 <laughs> yes. pounds. I don't understand. <laughs> yes. And depending on the doctor, it changes. 20 pounds was what yeah, I was right? told. 40 pounds so was what you were told. Yeah. It It is this funny thing. But um, I think that stories are powerful because it gives us insight. But I also think that we need to realize that stories are are for that person and maybe shouldn't be used for the general public. Everybody is so individual. So what was right for me lifting may be poor advice for one of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did want to talk about this. There is a lot of, uh, there's an anti-form movement going on right now. I don't know if you've been aware of that. It's uh yes. There's this whole anti-form thing going on where pelvic position during, during a uh, squat doesn't matter where they say that, you know, the spine positioning doesn't matter. And I was thinking, do you, okay, I, I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts on this before I even say anything. Absolutely. So I, so in my unique role as a physical therapist, I have an out because I get to deal with people who are in pain. So for me, I'm like, well, this movement pattern is causing you pain. Let's see what we can change to work your muscles differently or bring in a different set of muscles to assist with this movement. So then maybe mm-hmm. you'll have less pain. So if I'm watching somebody do an up. Let's just take that row, for example. I'm watching somebody do a row and it's all upper traps, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. and then their neck is tight after. I'm like, well, maybe we should try getting a little bit more lower traps in this. Um, no, no, not the lats. Don't pack the shoulders too hard. Let's actually find those lower traps and see if we can groove that scapular pattern for you and open up another available uh, type of of movement pattern for you. So how I look at it is people like to move in particular ways. And that particular way that they have adapted to moving might be from sitting at their desk all day as a kid. And it might not feel very good for their body. So if I can change the way they're moving to something that is different, that might feel a lot better for them. Now, that's great advice. But then they're like, well, how do I move differently? And that's where I find that the more educated we are in movement, muscles, anatomy, form, that we can help them understand and we can teach them without over-teaching them. If that's what, if we have a high anxiety person, we don't want to over-cue, but we can Mm -hmm. help them move differently because we know the ins and outs of movement. And so I think the whole, if that helps answer that question, so I really love understanding how all the muscles work in the body. I love understanding when they want to join in, what their movement does. Like if somebody's doing a pressing, reaching movement and they have no serratus, they've got a giant winging scapula, their arm is going numb because they're compressing their thoracic outlet and, and they can't do the sport they love 
because it's waking them up at night, they're in pain after maybe a long bike ride or a climb or whatever, then obviously I'm going to want to get particular about their scapula motion. Mm -hmm. I'm going to want to change how they're doing their exercise to help relieve the stress that's happening, the excessive stress in one area that's happening on their body. Same thing with the hip and pelvis. If somebody's femur isn't moving all the way back in the socket, they don't have an available complete range of motion, and that's causing fraying and force on the front of their labrum. It's causing excessive psoas tightness because their psoas is working too hard to contain the femur. Um, They're in pain. They've got numbness down their leg because their piriformis is tightening on their static nerve. I mean, I think it would be crazy for somebody to be like, oh, yeah, just just do your squats however you want. It's fine. You can have static pain after. Your body can feel terrible. We don't care. No form matters. Whereas when I look at that person, I'm like, I can clean up your form. I can help you have full hip range of motion. So then all of a sudden your hip feels great. And then you can move in all available ranges of motion because you now have them then sure. I mean, I do a sport where there's no form. I'm doing crazy stuff. I'm pressing like my shoulder into weird internal rotation, pushing off a wall. I mean, climbing is crazy. I'm doing all sorts of stuff that would never be in any form manual Mm -hmm. because I am trying to make my way up a wall any way I can. And all that movement variety feels so good. So when we get down to it, I think us lifting the same way, all the time, the same pattern can be such a problem for our body. And we need to figure out how to bring in a lot more movement variety. And there's no form critiques on that. You know, I may drop my knee, mm-hmm. turn my hip in, way arch my back, you know, internally rotate my shoulder, put it up by my ear to be able to jam my hand in something and pull up on a rock climb. It's like literally everything you're not supposed to do. I'm doing air quotes now for this listening. <laughs> everything you're not supposed to do, you know, <clears throat> but that's the movement that's needed to make that motion happen. So I think where we get in trouble is repetitive movement. Um, I don't think that things necessarily need to be excessively cute or changed if somebody feels great. Like, oh, my hips feel amazing. My back feels amazing. Awesome. Then keep Mm -hmm. doing your squats how you're doing. You feel great. Clearly it's working for you. But if they are having back pain, I mean, even kids in high school have back pain in the weight room. You know, kids Mm -hmm. in high school have hip pain. So I think that we can't separate the repetitive movement and the pain and just say form doesn't matter if it's causing tissue harm. Yeah. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about with squats is because I, I probably because I had somebody kind of come at me on Instagram, you know, when, once you step into creation mode where you're just trying to create and you're trying to put good out there, it fills up your time so much that you, you don't have time to criticize people, right? No, I don't, I'm never going to go on somebody's Instagram account and be like, I can't believe you said that because you know what? I'm going to be able to think of one person where that was a fit. That it could help. And so anytime in yeah. my career I say something doesn't matter or this is always the way it is, then I'll have a patient walk in and I'm like, oh, I need that person to round their lumbar spine. We're going to literally do nothing but lumbar spine rounding, or we're going to literally do nothing but arching because that's what this person in front of me needs to be able to move their body in a way that feels good to them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just feel like any argument, I can find the person where that argument would actually be exactly what they need. So nobody is right all the time. Well, and it's, um, it's very obvious in, in your program too, in your certification program, that you're always catching yourself like, oh, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, this could help. I'm not going to say always, uh, maybe yeah. like 70% of the time. And I'm always chuckling at that. But I, but I also very much appreciate it too, because it means that you're, you're being aware, you know, it means I've actually worked with people in real life and seen lots of different bodies and not that, robots. Yeah. Yes. Need different approaches. Yeah. <laughs> And and one thing that's hard about that is there's no replacing that. I mean, studies are great. I love studies. I love reading them. But for every study, I can I can almost say I know somebody. I had a client that was not the case. Yeah. And and I think that that's important that we can hold space for both. We can hold space for the study being right for some, and hold space for. But I know enough about the the body. And I've worked with enough people to know that that doesn't fit. I've had patients that are just, I've entirely treated through the biosocial model. 
I have not corrected a single thing. The only thing I've done is try to give them confidence in their body, help them feel safe, help them feel like, okay, they can move. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's, I would never correct I anything because it. it would send them spiraling into anxiety and it would, the, the biomechanical world would be the worst fit for them. Mm. And so I think to us working with people, those are soft skills. You know, you've got to learn how to help the person in front of you. And if you're someone where you're like, your squat has to be perfect all the time. And here's it. And then somebody's going to leave feeling like they're a failure and they can't lift and they're terrified and they're not going to squat to pick up their kid later because they're probably going to do it wrong. And they're going to overanalyze everything. It's going to cause lots of tension. And then that's going to cascade into further problems. Yeah. So I think we, we need more soft skill development as well as the as everything else. That's really good. I'm going to go back to the squat um, with the pelvic floor because I also feel like, well, with diastasis recti and with uh, pelvic floor health, I feel like saying that there's no form I think can do more damage to some women who may be arching their back to the point during a squat to the point where, you know, they're their stomach. I mean, I, I watch right now it's, I don't know if it's like popular on Instagram or what to like really push out your butt and to arch your back because it looks good for the camera or something makes your butt look really good when you're squatting. But sometimes I watch a pregnant woman copy that. It's a good, it's a way to get through lack of hip internal rotation. There you go. Yeah. And so if they, if they arch their way down and lean forward, then they don't have to internally rotate their hips. So they probably don't have available hip range of motion to squat well. And so they're compensating through their lumbar spine. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Would be my guess. But with somebody who's pregnant or um, has been pregnant, there is form. There is form, I believe, that can help them stay safer. I want to know what's happening with their hips too. And and maybe they might want that internal rotation range because you know what? Maybe they might go for a hike and they might get in the car after and they're might have a little bit of nagging tightness and feel like they, they always have to go to the gym and stretch their piriformis or they're always on a ball. Mm -hmm. It's like you start digging and you start asking questions and you find out, Oh, Hey, they don't feel great all the time and they are in pain. And I've worked with a lot of practitioners, trainers, people in the profession um, who look amazing, but feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we start put peeling back those layers and I'm like, does anything feel tight on you? Cause I, I never feel like I have to stretch. I'm, I, I don't particularly like, I don't, I think stretching is a little bit of a waste of time. If we're moving really well mm -hmm. through all range, available ranges of motion, then our body just feels nice and loose. So I think you start peeling back those layers and they would say, oh yeah, my back feels tight. My piriformis feels tight my hip pinches in the front. Maybe they even have like some labral fraying or they're going in to see their doctor for a labral tear. And maybe they've got impingement and they're looking at, you know, surgery or something. So you, you never know. You start peeling back those layers and you find a lot of, often find a lot of stuff there. That's, I love that you brought up the stretching. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because a lot of times people are stretching and rolling out and they feel like they have to do this. What are your thoughts on that? But they have to do it because they're they're tight because they're only grooving a certain pattern of motion instead of all available ranges of motion. So if we work, let's say we work all the way in and we work all the way out, we're going to feel really good. But if we do a workout and we only work out, 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 then we're going to be tight in the out motion. Does that, does that mm -hmm. help? <laughs> I'm not anti-stretching because I think stretching can be very relaxing. And I'm, I very much am a belief of the stress cycle and our the biosocial model. And we need to downregulate our systems a lot, especially if we're kind of high energy people, the, the people that do tend to like to lift heavy. And so I think that, that, that from that aspect, relaxation can be really great, um, decreasing tone. But I think if somebody constantly feels like they have to stretch to not be in pain or feel tight, then I'm going to be looking at the programming. Mm -hmm. So how can we program this muscle to move differently through their workout that, that will then leave it feeling loose and amazing after their workout? Mm. So a lot of times it's merely um, tightness is an indication or can be of uh, a muscle not being strong enough. If it's chronic, at least in my book. I mean, sure, you go run a marathon, your quads are going to feel tight. 
And that, that's yeah, like, I mean, I mean, one time. That's you're going to like three days, you're going to hate life, and then you'll feel fine. But if it's something where you feel like you have to stretch every day and it is always tight, then I am going to be asking myself, why is this muscle holding so tight at this joint? And what can I change in this joint positioning through other muscles to maybe decrease the tone and guarding at that one tight muscle that the, the one muscle that's tight to decrease that tension instead of stretching. Cause a lot of times we stretch things that are just doing too much work. They're just, they're taking on a big load. Like we're stretching our psoas when it doesn't need to be stretched. We're stretching our piriformis when it doesn't need to be stretched. Um, we need other muscles to kick in to help. And then all of a sudden that muscle's like, oh, I finally get a break. I feel amazing. Cause then you're taking something that's getting overworked mm-hmm. and then you're pulling on it you're stretching. So then you're creating laxity and then it has to hold even tighter. It's just such a bad, it's such a bad system. It doesn't fix things. I don't, at least I don't see it fixing things. Yeah. As one who has been there and tried to stretch out muscle tightness and then realized for me, at least um, it was weakness. And so as soon as I learned to actually engage my glutes as soon as I learned to engage my hamstrings, it I found that I wasn't constantly rolling out my lower body, every part of it, right? Yeah. Or stretching it. You're taking this one away. You got balance. Yeah. And it, it saved time in the gym because I'm a mom. So move however you want, ha- have whatever form you want, as long as it feels good. And if it doesn't feel good, take a step back and look at your form. Mm-hmm. Say what's going on there. What can I, yeah. I mean, well, I don't see anything wrong with, with, with wanting to feel good. Yeah. And using that as a, a measuring tool mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And know that you, yes, you may need to do something differently to feel better and finding somebody who has maybe a biomechanical background for movement to help you figure out how moving differently might make you feel good. Mm-hmm. you sometimes need to get direction from somebody to say, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's try moving your femur in this direction this way, or try loading. You know what? Wow. You, you don't have any like medial hamstring showing up. No wonder your tibia keeps rotating out. You're all lateral hamstring all day long. And so that is why your knee is very unhappy. So mm-hmm. why don't we try incorporating a little bit more medial hamstring and then that will help as a driver for your tibia. And then that might clear up your knee issue mm-hmm. and make you feel better. And then we just got really picky into the biomechanics, right? And it, that wasn't necessarily form as much as it is what muscle showing up to do the work. So instead of looking at form, maybe we should look at what's showing up, what muscle's working, what muscle's pulling the load, what muscle's unhappy. And then we can, I think maybe that's even worse though from that camp because we're breaking it down even further. So instead of it being, because I find I can, somebody can have decent form, but still show up with the wrong thing. Like you can have, ma- especially yeah, higher level people, true. they are master compensators and they don't know why they're having this continued pain. And then once we peel back the layers, we're like, oh, wow, that was masking that. And you you're really strong here. And so you're just doing it with this, like, like somebody's mm-hmm. rotator cuff showing up for their lats. Like somebody who's really strong can do pull-ups with primarily rotator cuff, traps, triceps, biceps. They're not, and instead of using their lat, but at the end of the day, they're going to end up with overloading their rotator cuff because we've got to find lats, Mm -hmm. you know, to do big muscle, to do a big, big job. And so I think the same thing happens in the lower body, right? Like if we don't find glutes, we don't have a big muscle to do a big job. And we're just relying on those deep hip rotators to drive extension, you know, that's maybe going to end up causing them st- tightness, potentially pain down the road. So when we look at what muscles doing what job, maybe more so than form. Yeah. Cause there are oftentimes on, so I have a, I have a group, um, I have a training app and then I have a Facebook group where people upload videos and it is kind of funny cause sometimes they want to, they want me to tell them, okay, what, where should my range of motion stop? What should my hip be doing? What should my knee be doing? And two days ago, my answer to a girl was, um, you, your lack of range at your hips seems to be, it could be these three things. One of them being your rec fem, just fire your rec fem, find that and just fire it. And all of a sudden she was able to push her hips back two more inches. I'm like, there you go. 
You got a little bit more range of motion, but sometimes that's hard to do when we're working with groups, right? It's hard to, yeah. I mean, you can only do what you can do. Yeah. And so in a group situation, that can be, that can be tough, especially when you're not in person. Well, and also with the whole form thing, I think sometimes it can be bad to force form because if they don't have the available range of motion and you're trying to force them into this one particular position, that can also be really bad and painful for their body. Uh, so, and one person's range of motion will be entire, will be totally different from another's one other. So I want to dive in really fast in closing. Diastasis recti is very, well, they say that 60% of women will experience it during pregnancy. Yeah. Basically it's a hundred percent at the nine months of pregnancy. Okay. And it's, I think it was 60% at like six weeks still have a diastasis okay. for 12 weeks, something like that. Was, and then I was reading like eight weeks later, it's 40%, something like that. Anyways. Yeah. And then like at 10 months, it's 30%. And it keeps going. So sometimes people just need to give it time. Are there things that people are doing in the gym that make it worse? I think we already kind of covered that with front loading. The front loading. Even after, even after pregnancy. And, And you'll see it in men too, with hernias bulging, like they'll have a weight belt on and they'll be doing squats and, or coming up out of a deadlift and you'll see a hernia bulging out like an umbilical hernia or even (laughs) higher kind of hernia in their diastasis recti area. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, wow, we need to work on your pressure management. You don't even have to be a postpartum woman. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good point with that. I mean, we already talked about how there's a lot of programs out there saying like, do this, you get, but I still get a question. Can I at what point do I know that I should get surgery? So I think Diane Lee says about a year is her kind of advice for that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it took me five years to, <laughs> to uh, fix my prolapse, which, I mean, you look at fascial turnover rate, it's very, very, very slow. Um, I think it was... Gil Headley, maybe uh, one of the fascial experts talked about it taking 10 months to have fascial remodeling. Uh, so I, I think that, I don't know, I'm going to go with an, I don't know on that because I, I think okay. there is something called life happiness and society is very harsh and it can be emotionally detrimental I think you can get away with some prolapse. Like I would never advise somebody to have surgery for a grade one prolapse. It, it, that would just be, I think, I feel like grade one can be normal to some extent, especially postpartum. But nobody's looking in your pelvic floor at the beach, you know? But, but it's really tough, I think, as a woman in our society to have a, what would be the equivalent of a minor diastasis and feel comfortable in our society. And so I think there is a big difference between something that maybe doesn't matter in the scheme of back pain, life, loading, lifting, exercise versus aesthetics. That's a tough question to answer. And I think that that there's nothing wrong with wanting surgery for the aesthetic aspect um, because I feel like we have no right to judge anyone else's desires. Mm-hmm. for what they want for their body. And so I am never going to say you shouldn't have surgery for something, especially if we can improve them, you know, to the point where I feel good about their loading. And I'm like, great, you're going to, you're going to be amazing after surgery because you're loading so well, you know, your recovery yeah. is going to be fantastic. So I think there's no harm in doing all the work we can. But at the end of the day, if you're not where you want to be, then I also don't see anything wrong with pursuing surgery. I love that. I mean, I know there's there's different opinions out there of like no surgery ever, but I just, I mean, I've seen so many patients where we just, we don't live in a society that is kind and it is very hard. Mm -hmm. I love that. We can do the work. I still think that we have to do the work just to learn how to. There's not an easy way out because I feel like if you still don't do the work, you're going to come out of surgery and you're not going to know how to load or contain pressure well. Uh Yeah. I've had hernia patients with hernia repairs and they have been pulling and bulging at their hernia sites and needing to redo their hernia surgery because they never learned pressure management. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that when we do the work, 
then it just takes off the stress. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. Well, Sarah, I've loved talking to you. I hope that I'm I'm excited for those who have followed me for a while or those listeners to be introduced to you. Do you have um, a website where you have women who have gone through your certification where they could contact and, and get a coach who will be able to look at each and every one of these things? Absolutely. So if you go to my website, uh, which is coreexercisesolutions.com, and you there's tabs across the top. And if you click on, if you click the about or you hover over the about tab, there is a PCS grad map that is um, under that tab. And that lists um, everyone who has finished the PCS course. And like you said, you know, 18 different ways to, to handle something because I didn't hold yeah. back. It's such a monster of a course. I'm so sorry. It's so big. It is. No, it is. It is so, it is so intense. Um, I'm not even halfway through. I'm probably a third of the way through, but it has been so good and so eye-opening. And there have been so many times when I, where I go back and I have to rewatch the videos because it is a meaty course, but that's a good thing. And I think it's a really good thing that um, those listening who have concerns um, with their core, with their pelvic floor, that they can go to a place and find women who know this at such a deep level. And I feel like that's what you're providing, but it's not just, I'm going to write a, 30 day program for the masses, these women will take the individual into consideration. And these plans are very much for the individual. And I think there can be some really good online programs that can be a good springboard for considering things, but then you've got to know, okay, I only got a little better or I learned some stuff, but it's not, I'm not completely well. So then you've got to say, all right, now I need to go get further help instead of giving up. I love that. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for taking your time to be on here. It's been so wonderful talking to you. And I really hope that a lot of women have been introduced to you and uh, that they can continue learning uh, from you. You offer free courses all the time too. Yes. I have so much free stuff. I think there's a ton to learn. Just actually have a tab on my website called freebies and it literally has hours of content. Yep. So if, if you get confused by anything Sarah said today, <laughs> there's a lot of big concepts. There's a lot of big concepts. There are, but, but you are a master teacher and when you, um, and, and podcasts are, are so hard too, cause it's just purely audio, but Sarah is a, an incredibly good instructor and she has some, she'll show you her freebies are wonderful. So get on, watch those. Um, and she really does break things down at, we were kind of talking a little bit of high level. She'll, she'll go down and break things down a little bit more so that it's easier uh, to digest. And I'm just sure that you guys are going to love her. Thank you so much, Sarah. Oh, thanks so much, Lindsay. 